Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Well, good morning, Journey Church. And uh, before we get started here uh, opening the word, I want to give a huge shout out for all those who served with us in two different places on Friday night. Uh, not only did we have a team of at least 14 down at the U of A serving uh, freshmen, we had about 60, 70, 80, I don't know, a whole bunch of freshmen that uh, not all of them believers, but coming around the ministry called Navigators, when our kids showed up in force, mixed in with them, we had a blast. Uh, that's one place, and we didn't think, because of the nature of our time and season, and that, that uh, we had committed to that, that we could not answer the call to get down to a bit more elementary school, but I was wrong. We had eight more people down at a public school. It, it's a, a school that we've adopted. We've uh, been in a relationship with them for about 11 years now, and uh, have great inroads and relationships there. Um, but we were serving them uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, etc., etc., and uh, just a great, great team down there as well. Can we just say thank you for those who showed up and served the Lord? And here's why that was so important. Uh, numerous times in the scriptures, we are told, we are taught that we are to be people that serve. And in fact, if I could just cherry pick from one of the pastoral epistles that said that more times than any other short um, book of the Bible, um, Titus chapter 2, multiple times through Titus, but this is what it says, talking about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And then listen to this as their central quality, people who are zealous for good works. And so no matter what season we find ourselves in, we're just ripped off. We're making progress, by the way. We're tired post-COVID in all these crazy years. We're rebuilding. Um, the, the mission is still intact. And we have not only individuals that serve in our own households and neighborhoods, but this is the kinds of places where as the church we gather together. We know that for sure. And so thank you, Journey Church. That's my dream come true. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep looking for more opportunities to serve the Lord together. Amen? Well, um, I did this last Sunday. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I did not walk online. I was very high up on a mountaintop in the middle of the day with my son and son-in-law hunting deer. And uh, it's been a long time since I did the church on a Sunday morning to hunt deer with a rifle, but I did unapologetically. It was phenomenal. I had about six days, not every day, all day, but six days of running around in these mountains here uh, chasing bucks. And yes, God was good. We had three tags, and we did, in fact, get three tags. The final one came on early Tuesday morning, and my son-in-law finally did a fine, delicious, free-range organic of venison, and uh, we carried it down the hill and um, skinned it out on Tuesday before coming in to the office. Uh, Wednesday morning at the carcass with deer, and my, by the way, my neighbors think I'm literally nuts now. Um, that is true. But Tuesday, uh, Wednesday morning, as soon as I woke up, I rushed back there to see we had had problems, not time, not recently, but we had had problems with uh, chickens. And wouldn't you know it, know it, know it that as soon as I opened the amphibia door and I looked out, um, I saw yogurt. Yeah, but you were very much inside your son. And he was trying to take the deer out. Again, this happened years ago. So I had to get out here and you know, cute little kitty bobcat run out. And I go, okay, so I let him know his problem. And I went through my morning and got ready for work. And as I'm, I'm hanging out in the living room, I hear thump, 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 thump. And this naughty kitty was back and had a bigger wilbur with her. 
Peter had stolen the head, it was gone. I could not find it for 20 minutes. And the other rover was jumping up on the carpet, trying to get into the game bag and get her a pound of flesh. And so again, I scared him off, and it's now like 9 a.m. And I thought, it's time for all good little kitties and bad predators to go and they know who the dominant creature is here. No, I did not mark my territory like that, but I thought about it. And I went to work going, this is going to be okay. And at 10 to 16, I get a text from my wife. They're back. And she wrote this. The bobcat keeps chewing on the ear. I was, it, I heard banging and it was flowing back and forth. You might want to get this thing. And I said, did he get in the game bag? Yes, he sent me a picture. So I go, okay, I'm not going to be here at the office much longer. So, um, snuck, naughty, crazy bobcat. My neighbors think I'm crazy, but the bobcats love me. I'm going to tell you why. I uh, always wrong. I had to be concerned about uh, bobcats, lions, Father's hand. I'm not doubting these 
eternal security of those who are genuinely born again, I am saying that either they were never genuinely born again, that their faith was not real or anchored in Christ, or that in this time and season, they are no longer abiding. And for that reason, walking the paths of the world, they are open prey for the enemy who has come to steal and kill and destroy, and they are in a hot mess of life. And I'm talking everything from uh, mental illness to divorce to brokenness to suicide. I'm talking everything. Because this is what the enemy of our souls, the predator, the opportunist that stalks our backyard does, looking for an opportune moment. St. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, he said, to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he devours in any number of ways. We've been studying First John, and John is deeply concerned that we are walking in the light over time, that we would remain walking in the light over time. And so what we see are three major categories unfold in, in the book of First John. And the first category that we've covered, and we'll see it come up again, is that John is deeply concerned, the Lord is deeply concerned about our, our holiness or our purity. Uh, the Lord is deeply concerned about our morality. And we see this again and again. If I can just cherry pick one verse, he says in, or two verses in 1 John 3, verse 2 and 6. Jesus says, everyone who uh, hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And in verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, meaning a habitual, ongoing habit of life without any kind of conviction or, or recourse. And that our morality matters in the enemy of our soul. Prowls about to test, to undermine our faith through our morality. The second area that we see and that we saw again is our ethics. The way we actually treat brother and sister and, and neighbor and relative. So not our, our own internal holiness, purity, and uh, uh, godliness, but now how do we behave in society? Here's what we were trying to do together as a church Friday night. Doing good to our neighbors and loving our brothers shows up again and again and again in First John. First John 3, 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should love one another. Those are our ethics. But there's one more area that the enemy of our soul seeks to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. Stalking our backyard, looking for an opportune moment, not only in our morality and our ethics, but in our doctrine and teaching. What we think in our mind matters so dearly. And the enemy will take us out any way he can. Morality, ethics, and theology. And this, once again, is clear, and that's clear to the heart of our text here this morning, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me just cite the Apostle Paul. He said a few times uh, what St. Peter did, but in Colossians 2.18 in the New King James Version, Listen, the Apostle Paul says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. Don't let anyone, because you see, the roaring lion has human ambassadors. Whether they know it or not, most of the time they themselves are as deceived as anyone else. And yet he has his emissaries, he has his people in this world. He has his leaders, his teachers, his preachers, his teachers, his book writers, his 
pit theologian, if you will. He's academic. And in their job, to be co-opted, co-opted by him to undermine our simple and sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's sober-minded. He watches this. Co-offensive. What we think, what we believe, intellectually, and now. This is what John says in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Beloved, so here again, dear, reading something that was written directly to genuine believers. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 90 AD, already many false prophets had gone out. By which we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now it's in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's just back up a moment one more time and look to see where did these many false prophets originate according to First John. Back in chapter 2, verse 18, he said, and this passage, Tyler talked about four weeks ago, guys, before going on a little sabbatical. Um, you're going to be happy to have me back. Children, it is the last hour. And as we have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrist have come. False prophets, Antichrist. Synonym. Where did they come from? The next verse tells us. They went out from us. They were in the church. They were a part of the Christian community. They were raised in the faith. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, all are not of us. So false prophets, antichrist, arising from, coming out of a Christian community experience. And now what are they doing as false prophets and antichrists? We discover that in First John 2, 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. It wasn't enough for them to cast off their religious commitment, to walk away from their faith. To violate their baptism, if you will. That wasn't enough. They wanted to hang around and continue to teach why they believe they, they do now. And John calls them false prophets and deceivers. And yet all of them would claim to be speaking from and for They would claim that they were spiritual and that their teaching was spiritual. And some of them likely, because we have this in the New Testament, some of them likely were able to perform signs, wonders, and miracles. They were able to falsify power. In the first century, the church didn't know any better. It's like, hey, there's a manifestation of the Spirit, and they've got a word from the Lord. You better listen. And then as you gave them the platform to teach in the community, 
then they began to teach things that were contrary to the scriptures. And in doing so, they would undermine the faith of entire households and lead as many as they could astray. Again, you have a warring lion and you can't get to see the morality or the ethics of what you're doing today. You have yet to see some people that you consider powerful and engaging and gifted communicators. Whether subtly or overtly, draw you in and undermine the doctrine of Christ. This is what kept us happening. And it's interesting, it's interesting that Christians, another term that I'm always surprised, when I say Christian, follower of Jesus, or believer. I love that term believer. I love the fellowship of believers. I love the idea that God loves faith. Our very identity to believe. In order to be faithful and walk the life and to abide, we must continue to believe. But did you know that in order to be faithful to walk in the life and truth of God, we must also not believe. But this is not a blank check of being something lovable, spiritual. Nothing godly about that. 
the Lord speaking through and gives me judgment and, and love and favor with both God and man. Um, Jesus came and died to take away our sins, not our rights. Three times it's recorded, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and executing the law, they're trying to stump Jesus. And three times, all three Gospels, the six synoptics, record this instance. When he's teaching the law, he says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus expects us to be very that Listen, we don't all have the same IQ. That's okay. We don't have the same intellectual wiring and capacity, but every single one of us can love the Lord Jesus. We have a job to do to develop our thinking as tall and as good as we want to be. And so here's the bottom line for our message today that really uh, unpacks that from the text. It's this. In order to continue to abide, you can say in order to continue to walk in the light, in, in order to be faithful, in order to abide, we must learn to discern. Learn to discern. I would argue that all immorality and body ethics finds its, its origin and depends upon faulty thinking. That when you get this wrong, don't expect the other two to fall in line. Somewhere along the path, you just left the backyard wide open to the predator of your soul. When you think it's okay, when I think it's okay, you know, thinking's too hard. I don't want to study today. I don't want to listen to another sermon. I don't want to do discernment and do the hard work of testing. And it's because of this fact that many no longer walk the path of righteousness. The prophet Hosea, Hosea 4, 6, said this of the Jewish people. God was speaking through him. And God said, For my people, God, will all be destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's not just sexual sin and temptation. It's not having self-control. It's not just not living on mission and not doing good to your neighbor. It's a lack of knowledge, a lack of thinking, a lack of intellectual discipline. So the question that's still here before us, so what does this look like? How do we discern? How do we test the Spirit? What are we looking for? And here's what it says in verse 2 and 3. By this, you know. By this. So there it is. What other things are meant? That's the thing. That is the active test. What is it? By this, you know the Spirit, spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we heard was coming and now is in the world already. So here's the, the, the point. The active text. And I'll explain that in a moment. But the active text in all true religion is Jesus. The active text in all true religion is Jesus. That's the active text. You've heard this used. Sometimes it's a witness test, that kind of thing. Um, the, the active text was used to detect souls. And how this works is to take something that we perceive to be gold and rub it on a black stone. And gold being as soft as it is, rubs off and there's an easily seen mark on the black stone. The next thing that is done, the metallurgist or the tester takes nitric acid and drip it, dips it on the mark. All of 
other metals, including precious metals, will be dissolved by the nitric acid. Only gold will remain. Only real gold will survive the acid test. Therefore, when I say Jesus is our acid test, this is what he's talking about here. That above and beyond every other theological concern, Religion, the acid test for all true spiritual teachers is what they confess. The word confess here, homologeo, means to say the same thing. To agree with. To agree with God. To agree with the apostolic teaching. Who is Jesus? This tells us that the religion is either true or false. And whether or not the teacher himself is true or false, what they confess about Jesus as the Christ. And I want you to notice, I'm going to just list a couple of other topics, all four of these hot button issues I've dealt with this week. All four of these. One, the age of the universe and the account in Genesis 1 through 3. between uh, divine sovereignty and human choice in salvation. Um, the existence or the use of the charismatic sign gifts in the church today and the end times and what war in Israel means concerning the return of Christ. All four of those have their place in conversation in the church. None of them is the acid test of true religion. And there's lots of room for conversation and confusion and disagreement on those issues. But not on this one. Who is Jesus? I could take it further and go, adoption of God, morality, right and wrong, uh, eternal judgment, Heaven and hell, marriage and family, all important biblical ideas, not the acid test. There is one thing that comes first and foremost. You can go beyond this acid test, but you cannot revolutionize. This is your starting point. This is the test. Who is Jesus? I remember a high school student uh, back when I was volunteering with his leader. Justin, um, he professed to follow Jesus, high school kid, uh, didn't have a lot of ground in his own. He was chasing some unsaved Israel for all the wrong reasons. And I kept praying and saying, I don't even know if he was there was, I just know that he was not a follower of Jesus, and that was going to be quite upsetting. And I read Justin and Jesus looked at me and goes, he believes in God. He believes in God. Religiously lost people. Why? Because of their 
conversion of Ethan. And then kick out a couple. Mormonism. The Jesus, the Mormon Jesus is a created spirit baby by Heavenly Father, Abbe Philip, and the brother of Lucifer. That is not apostolic scriptural teaching on babies. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a created firstborn entity who is not God. Oh, the Son of God? But he is a created creator. No, he's created, but he was created first. Um, not very popular anymore, but I just thought I'd throw it in because it showed up in the first century. Uh, Christian science teaches that he, Jesus was the man, a Galilean prophet, very different from the Christ, who is a conceptual idea that there is a reality to it, two very different things. And the founder said, I couldn't care less about Jesus the prophet. He is nothing to me. He never existed, wasn't put in God's heart, or his love. And then let me throw in a huge one, it's false. That Jesus is a great prophet, but not the greatest. And that's all he is. So we have this idea that it's not just Jesus, but some very poignant things about him. In fact, as you study the original language, you've got an accent, and you actually have some nuance underneath the surface. Uh, our translations are phenomenal. Our English translations are reliable, not what they do say. It's, it's, it's the depth that sometimes they miss, and they say it in English that's really clumsy. And so we smooth it out, and English is a pretty shotgun language, to be quite honest, relative to Greek. So I'm going to unpack what this an accent in the original language. Um, every spirit that confesses that Jesus, stop there, this is the man, Jesus of Nazareth, every spirit that confesses that Jesus as the Christ, Jesus Christ, you can put them together, smooth it out, one title, but there is an accent in the Greek language, Jesus as Christ. Why is that so important? The Christ was prophesied in the Old Covenant. He's prophesied to come from the seed of the woman, Genesis 3, the seed and offshoot of David. I think that's Isaiah 7 or 6 7. That he was going to be mighty God and everlasting Father. That's Isaiah 9 6. And that he would be an everlasting and eternal one. That's Zechariah 2. The Christ was said to be infinite and eternal, almighty God. So, Jesus has the Christ. We have Jesus the man, 100% human, as the Messiah Christ, God himself, a ruler. Jesus as Christ, having come in the flesh, and in the flesh, having come is in the perfect tense, which means, and remains in the flesh even today. And so we have this amazing doctrine of the person of Jesus embedded in the New Testament. Yet, a real fancy theological term for somebody that we think ought not to be the center of our thinking. The hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. The infinite, eternal God Himself became flesh. And in the person of Jesus Christ, 100% full strength deity and 100% full blown humanity forever united in one person. That is the hypostatic union in our own ESPA statement of faith. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in his nature. This is your apostolic religion. What does that religion teach? What does that document teach? What does that teacher believe? What do they confess concerning the person of Jesus as the Christ? 
disagree about a lot of things, but not on this. When John showed where those two things flowing, Flint's was uh, the teaching of Terentius that I mentioned before. In fact, uh, Flint sent me Kirk's writings, which is not scripture, but they actually talked about, I believe it was Polycarp, that said John encountered Terentius because he asked, they were contemporaries and they both lived in Ephesus. He encountered him in a bathhouse when St. John ran out of the bathhouse, terrified the crowd was going to bring it down and kill Corinthians. Why? Because Corinthians did not confess Jesus as Christ, having come in the flesh and remaining in the flesh. Corinthians taught that the man Jesus was a Galilean, and at his baptism, the Christ, this is why it's Christian science, the Christ idea descended upon him and remained upon him up until the crucifixion, at which point the Christ idea went away and the man, Jesus, died on the cross. That was Corinthianism. Another idea that was forming, not fully grown yet, was Docetism. And Docetism just merely taught it actually means uh, to reveal and or apparent. And what Docetism taught was that the man, Jesus, that was actually truly God, only appeared to have a human form. The whole time he was here, he was so much God that he was a phantom in appearance. And it wasn't a real flesh and blood, material universe kind of Christ. In both of these heresies, they're declared as heresies in the history of the church. They are the spirit of the Antichrist. We see this show up in 1 John chapter 2. We already looked at this. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. And then a couple of verses after our text today in 1 Corinthians, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that abides in him and he in God. The classic text for all true religion and all spiritual teaching. What do they confess about the person of Jesus? And might I also add, I believe that all, all, all other doctrines, all other doctrines find their value, worth, and clarity in Jesus. The Apostle Paul would say so. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Colossians 2, verse 2 through 4. He's praying for them and he wants them to reach all the full assurance and understanding, understanding and knowledge, this is the intellect, of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may look into the of it. But Paul says, every other idea or thought is hidden in the doctrine or person of Jesus. And he wants them to know that because they are Caesar's mystery. Then a couple of verses later, he would say in the same book, see to it that no one is to be captured by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements of the spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells the Trinity, we love the Father, and we love the Holy Spirit, but the Father gave the Son. Many religions believe in God the Father, and we believe in the Spirit. We believe in the power of the Spirit, the presence and the ministries of the Spirit. You know, one of those major roles is to point us back to the Son and the finished work of Christ on the cross. Jesus is the one. How does it work? This is our last point. How does this work? How do we, um, what is it like? What does testing the Spirit mean? And it's found in the next three verses. And let me just give you the point really at once. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures mean we can do this. We can learn to discern. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures mean 
you guide them. This is what this Lord does. But it says, and you are from God and have overcome them. For who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The world will overcome if you overcome the man named Nike. Victory! And it too is in the perfect tense, meaning that it is completed action, this ongoing impact. That in Christ, we have overcome the false teachings and false teachers once and for all and forever. We have the victory. How? He that is in us. Who's that? That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells all true believers. Whether you feel Him or not, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And the scriptures are clear about that. First John 4, 16, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. He is in us. If He is part of the equation of how do we discern, how do we test the Spirit? Well, we have a greater ability to detect false teachings because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because He is greater than He that is in the world. Who is in the world? We got the Antichrist, the false teachers, those that were not from us, the deceivers, but behind them, what is the spirit behind them? The spirit behind them is the devil. And the devil is Second Corinthians 4 4, the God of this age who has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. And according to First John 5 19, the whole world out there that does not gather is lies in the power of the evil one. But we have and complete victory because of the Holy Spirit's ministry within us over the devil, his minions, and over false teachers. And while there is a spiritual gift mentioned by the Apostle Paul called the gift of discernment or, or this determining the Spirit, all of us have the Holy Spirit and all of us are required to do that. H.T. Robertson says this, The power of recognition belongs to all believers. There is no reason for Christians being moved by the Spirit of discernment. Nobody has to speak. Here and here, I didn't have the Spirit of discernment. Sure, there might be a specially gifted person to build up the body, but every single one of us has the Holy Spirit, and He works this through all of us. But I want you to notice how John says this discerning work of the Holy Spirit works. The last two verses say this, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. In other words, God listens to us. John is talking about himself and his fellow apostles. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, himself and the other apostles. By this, remember we got before, by what? Show us how it works. What's coming next? By this. We know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. And the question is, how does the Holy Spirit work the ministry of testing the Spirit? Random thoughts? Feelings? Ooh, I got an icky feeling. I heard that from you. I felt a cramp from you. I don't know what it is. That's, that's, I, I'm not going to say that the Holy Spirit does not work in the arena of emotion. He does. And I can show you in the Scripture where that's true. There are things like that, but that's not what John says. That's not what discerning the Spirit is. I just felt this pain. Oh, I think you have the gift of discernment. No, you didn't do anything yet. You just had a feeling. It might be your trauma that's being triggered. Do not mistake your emotions for the Holy Spirit. You have emotions. Sometimes they are co-opted. Sometimes they're not. What does John say, though? John talks about listening. Listening to who? Listening to what? Apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching. I love Jude, verse 3. One chapter of the Bible. He said that I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. Once for all. The Bible is not complete yet, and yet the apostolic teaching is complete. 
And as being taught orally until it was written down and recognized. And today we have the recognized apostolic teaching canonized and recognized. And how do we listen today? We go back to the Word. We compare what is being taught, what is being explained, and we take it back to the Word. And for that reason, we must be teachers of the Word. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, He promised the Spirit would guide them into all Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.